Log Talk Radio. The Hollywood Boulevard Podcast, hosted by Jonathan Moody and Donnie Sturgis. But not tonight. This is Alfred Crane again, the producer of Hollywood Boulevard Podcast, with Jonathan Moody and Donnie Sturgis, and our our delightful new friend, or my new friend tonight, Lisa. So, welcome everyone. Thank you for being here tonight. Hey, hey guys. And tonight yeah, we're yeah. talking about the legacy of uh, Stanley Kubrick. And, uh, wow, what a fascinating guy, um, fascinating director, um, controversial, um, visionary, um, took us to new levels with cinematography and topics, and a lot of his stuff was different each time, different topics. And um, some of the things I um, – I watched this really cool documentary to kind of help set the stage outside of um, – what movies I, I liked and watched of his over the years called Stanley Kubrick, a life in pictures. And you can rent that on Amazon prime, I think for five ninety nine. it's, it's worth it. If you like cinema and directors and, um, you know, some big things with him, he started off as a photographer. Um, he didn't really care to do schoolwork cause it didn't interest him. Um, he went as a director is very demanding and, it would sometimes do like 50 takes on a scene before he felt like they were into not thinking about it so they could get into the emotions, wide use of the study cam, help them develop a low lens camera using a NASA focal plane to shoot candlelight for his film, Barry Lyndon, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Actors. And it looks brilliant. Um, the, the costumes it looks gorgeous. and stuff. I, think I tried to watch it and I just got bored. Yeah, that's one of the complaints. <laughs> they said it was boring because around that time, Star Wars and Jaws and stuff was coming out. Yeah. And um, one of the weird connections, I didn't want to pay for this one, but it was a, a movie about Kubrick and it was um, how the um, Defense Department hired him to fake the Apollo moon landing. <laughs> And they said mm-hmm. his work on 2001 was a practice run for the Apollo moon landing. So believe it or not, um, this isn't Ripley's, but I'd like to open it up to y'all. And um, what was your first um, Stanley Kubrick film and your memories of it? So, um, Lisa, you're our guest, so I'd like you to go first. Cool. Um, my first, the first movie that I saw of his that I really got excited about was A Clockwork Orange. And I saw that when I was, I, I think I was 15. And uh, it, it, was, it was literally like the first time that I actually enjoyed violence in film. I, I really was kind of a pussy with like movies. I didn't like scary movies or anything. And that movie just gave me such a rush and I became addicted to it. I would watch it several times a week um, over and over again sometimes. And uh, I was obsessed. I also really loved Lolita. Um, my mother was a big fan of 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, I w- I've always felt kind of 
whatever about it. Like, it's cool and everything, but it doesn't get me as excited. And then um, right. Eyes Wide Shut, I really loved Eyes Wide Shut. Um, I, I thought it was an, a really fascinating exploration of the psychology of relationships um, as well as a bunch of other things. But uh, the, the way that the characters explored uh, the kind mm-hmm. of fears that people tend to have and how they it makes them act and, and everything. It was just, it's the kind of movie that I can rewatch again and again and just go on a different journey each time. And I, I love books and movies that are like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree so with that. I have, not seen, I have not seen um, Lolita, The Killing, or um, Eyes Wide Shut, but they um, all have good casts, and they look, um, you know, from the documentary I watched, they're just about to get into Eyes Wide Shut. But, um, yeah, um, Sue Lyon and Lolita is like, Sue Lyon is like the perfect Lolita. Like, I can't picture, it sucks because he had so many, issues with censorship with that like Nabokov actually wrote the screenplay like that's like kind of a dream situation and Sue Lyon totally embodied that, that character I feel um, but since there was so much censorship at that time they really couldn't show much and then there was the remake with uh, Jeremy Irons and uh, I forget her name and they were able to show everything but it just didn't have it didn't have the magic of the Kubrick one mm-hmm well, it's funny you bring up the censorship issue because um, the Catholic League had, like, basically, you know, did not endorse the film and condoned it. So you had half the people, like, going, oh, we can't watch that because the church didn't like it. But then the same people who didn't condone that praised 2001. So I thought that was interesting how you had two sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, I think it was actually after Lolita that he he moved to back to England because he was sick of the American Hollywood system and all the censorship mm-hmm. and everything. Definitely. Well, well Donnie, what's your, um, your thoughts? Um, what, the, what was the question? The, the first Kubrick film we saw? Yeah. First Kubrick film you saw in your impressions. Well, <laughs> that's a funny story. Like most of the stories I have for this show. Um, my first, my, the first Kubrick movie that I ever saw, I was a young child. Um, I didn't know it was a Kubrick movie at the time. I just know it was a scary movie, and it was The Shining. And I was probably, I was probably about six, maybe seven when I saw it. And I don't remember if it was an edited version for, like, maybe for TV or whatever. All I know is it scared the living shit out of me. Um, I had nightmares from that movie, like, like just for a while, like that, that movie just scared the hell out of me so much. Um, I just remember seeing it on TV one time when I was, I was probably like six and I was just like, what the hell? You know, well, not, I didn't say that cause I was six, but, um, it, it really resonated with me. Like it, it, it stuck with me for that and the exorcist, uh, were, were the two movies I saw around that same age that really just impacted me in a, in a major way. Um, but going back, um, I didn't see The Shining for a long time after that because it just scared me so much as a kid, but I've gone back and revisited it and realized it's not as scary as I remember it being, but it's still very effective. Um, so that would be, that would, that would definitely be my answer for that one would be The Shining. I, I saw, I saw, I probably saw it way too young 
Um, especially considering all the imagery and symbolism that uh, Kubrick had injected in that film. I couldn't really appreciate it properly. Um, mm-hmm. But even even as a young child, that movie is effective on the on the basic, most simplistic level, on, on, the, on the basis of horror, on the basis of, of just scare, uh, being scary, and just being like just with the imagery just for a child of that age, looking and seeing all this, you know, just terrifying stuff. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a proper tribute to how well Kubrick works on, on, on so many different levels. I mean, you know, how a movie like that can impact a child, but then an adult can be impacted in a different way from that same movie, you know, seeing all the different, uh, aspects of it that he didn't see when he was a child. So that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I'm curious, what scene scared you when you first saw it? Which one scared you the most? Um, Let's see. Well, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember much. The, the scene, the scenes that stick out uh, to me that I remember are the two girls, uh, the yeah. twins. Um, they're even though they are, there's really nothing like terrifying or just uh, overtly like, um, uh, like there's nothing about them that really says, "Hey, we're, we're going to get you." But there was there was an unsettlingness about, it. and I think it had a lot to do with the way the scene the the soundtrack that was playing because you had the you know the the low undertones that were playing during that moment the look of fear on that child's face because um, I mean at the time like I'm a child and I'm watching this child who I can identify with in the situation yeah. so it was almost like putting myself in the situation so the twins was definitely one the blood coming out of the elevator was another one um, and then just like just the different ghosts because like. Because, I mean, as a child, like, like ghost stories were my favorite, but they also terrified the hell out of me. So any type of ghost story was real. And even to this day, uh, ghost stories, I think, are my favorite uh, type of, of story. Um, so any time a ghost pops up on screen. Do um, still scare you? Yeah, they do. Wow. Um, partly because I've had, uh, I, I, I've had a lot of uh, paranormal activity uh, experiences in my own life. Um, and I nice. also have dabbled in paranormal investigations and stuff, but yeah, they, cool. they do. They scare me for real. So like, I want to I that... talk to you more after the show about that stuff. <laughs> okay. Are you on I Facebook? Can... I am on oh, Facebook. We're friends. we're friends on Facebook. Oh, we are? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> I don't know. They're all faces. They're all little bubbles. I don't know who anybody is. That's funny. <laughs> Well, your question about what scared me, scared him the most about um, The Shining, to me, it's the woman in the tub. That just gets me every That's time. That's the First one that gets me. That's the one, that one still gets me. Like, every time I see it, and then I feel like an asshole because I'm like, oh, I'm, am I just, you know, old women are just scary. Like, they're more gross than anything else on the planet. And then I'm like, wow, I'm going to be an old woman one day. And then I'm like, great. See? That's why that's why I think I must have seen an edited version because I don't remember the old lady at all, so I'm pretty certain I had to have seen the edited version. Um which that's is weird though, but I remember the blood. Probably traumatized you for life. Probably. Yeah. I probably would have been afraid of my grandmother after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd right, like, I'm ready to go. What's your uh well okay I'm gonna kind of cheat I'm gonna say two things because um one of them Fine. was not an actual um was not an actual uh Stanley Kubrick movie or anything but uh The Simpsons the shot uh the Shining thing um I it was like a parody of The Shining 
Um, <laughs> I I remember seeing that and not having a clue what what this was about because I'd never seen The Shining when I was a kid, and thinking it was freaking hilarious. And I still do. I think it's one of the best parodies I've ever seen of, uh, especially in uh, in cartoons. Um, totally. Yeah, and then the other one out is that noise. Uh, do you guys hear that on the other Someone's end? Got a ra- yeah, yeah. Someone check. Someone checking for radiation. I don't know. Well, I'm not hearing anything. Like a... Maybe we're I being wiretapped. I don't know. Maybe the government uh, is listening. Maybe yeah. the ghost. Where's the ghost? Someone shining. <laughs> because Someone we talked the about the, the the moon landing, and that's like the government's trying oh. to cover that up. Uh-oh. Oh, that did it. Okay, it's my bad. That's it. Oops. <laughs> Damn it, Alfred. Um, so, uh, <laughs> What was I going to say? So the other thing I wanted to say was, um, God, this is going a little annoying. Um, so I will say uh, the actual movie that I saw first was um, uh, Clockwork Orange. Um, and uh, I, I, was, I remember I was 17, and I wasn't, like, for some reason, like my dad had told me I wasn't allowed to um, – uh, watch it until I read the book, you know. Uh, I think he thought at one point I wouldn't actually read the book, so yeah. he, he was trying to stop me from watching it. And then I uh, I read it cover to cover, and I was uh, and I hated reading it because it was hard. It's a hard book. If nobody's ever read it, it's in uh, their language that they have, that their made up language. And you have to actually go to the glossary and look up words that are in the back that had no clue what they meant. And so I did that, read it, and then I watched the movie and absolutely loved it. Uh, still my, actually, probably my favorite Stanley Kubrick film uh, to this date. Um, it's just, uh, it's just like, like Lisa said, it was, it's just violent and nasty and awesome. Um, and I always, I love that scene with him having the uh, his eyelids open and having to watch all oh, that God. those violent images and everything. And I'm thinking, damn, I wonder if the government actually does stuff like that. You know, like this <laughs> doesn't seem too far off. You know, so yeah, it uh, it's great. I love that movie. Absolutely adored it, and uh, still do. I it's one of my favorite Blu-rays that I own right now. You know, and everything. So. That would be my first and my favorite. Mine um, is uh, the first one I saw was 2001 as a kid. And I had seen Star Wars and other stuff. And I'm like, good grief, this is boring. And what is going on? And these apes are running around. But it just, like, even though that's what was going through my mind, because I was used to Star Wars and Star Trek in action, it had an impact um, on me. That um just just kept me going for years, and it was one of those movies I watch in bits and pieces, and finally sit down and watch the whole thing. And it seems like I've done that with a lot of his movies, except for Paths of Glory and um, Spartacus. Um, but 2001 was the first one I saw, and I just remember being haunted by it. And um. So why don't we get into um, some of his um, cinematography? Why don't we get into um, talk about Doctor Strangelove for a little bit, and um, the the social parallels of that, making it a black comedy, 
um, the characters of Peter Sellers, um, and just that's one of the movies that's got such great lines that are quotable, and it's just so great. And what are you, what are some of your thoughts on um, Doctor Strange Love? If you have any. All right, uh, I guess anybody can go. I'm going to say, I'm going to go first real quick and just say I hate it. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those, I'm I tried watching it and got so bored. Yeah, I got so bored. I uh, I did not laugh, like, I don't even think once. I'm just, I don't know. I'm, what, I'm one of those people that, like, everybody loves this movie. And I, I put it in one of those movies that I just, I don't see, don't understand it. Like, I don't understand the appeal necessarily. I think it's, you know, but everybody else loves it. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. But, so, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Everybody else can cool. say their stuff. <laughs> well, then. Lisa, you go. <laughs> um, You know, I I like it, but, it like, obviously it wasn't one of the ones I mentioned and, and the ones that I loved. Um, that was one of the movies that my mother showed me, and she's like, this movie's brilliant, blah, 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 look how amazing. And, you know, I got it, you know, black humor, you know, war, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't really, like, I know it's good, but it doesn't stay with me. But I definitely think that right now it, it's definitely relevant. <laughs> For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think you so. know, we the whole to... just charade of this. You, you see how, like, ridiculous politicians are. I just saw um, the death of Stalin in the theater yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really good. And it was, like, really dark humor. And, like, everything seems kind of insane and then you're like holy shit this is like actually history like these people did do these things and it's kind of like right. Dr. Strangelove and like the world the fate of the world is in the hands of these idiots and that's reality yeah it had a great it's our, cast it's yeah what about you Jonathan I mean Donnie <laughs> well uh, I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of in, in a similar boat to Lisa. I like I enjoy the film enough. Um, I've only seen it like maybe like twice. Um, mm-hmm. Once when I was in high school, and I didn't really get it all that much when I was in high school. Because um, uh, at that point, I was uh, I was still young and wet behind the ears, and so you know, satirical black comedies were not quite something I was you know because at that time I was still try- I was still trying to figure out Monty Python, um, <laughs> but. But um, as I got older, I think I saw it again probably in my mid to late twenties, and I, I enjoyed it enough. Like it's 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 decent. Um, I don't love it. Um, like I don't like I I I recognize its merits and I recognize why it's applauded, uh, and 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 uh, I recognize it for you know what other people uh, see it as. But I, I, you know, I'm not I'm not a huge fan. Like it's not in my top. Like I, like mm-hmm. I said, I, 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 I respect the movie for what it is and it's definitely, it's a solid piece. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, I love Peter Sellers in it. I, I'll, I'll give you that. Peter Sellers is an amazing, 
uh, amazing character actor. Uh, that man can, can do no wrong. And I think he did like what three, four different characters in that movie, and mm-hmm. you know the different affectations that he supplied. Like he was, he did so much with 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 what he was given um, to the point where he. I mean, he ad libbed a lot of his lines. Um, I know, mm-hmm. like his, uh, like he was exhausted because he had so like they gave him so much to do for that film that he was, you know, he was, he was getting to the point where it was, it was tiring him out, but he, you know, like I just, and of course you can't talk about, you know, the, uh, the movie without the slim picking scene with him riding the missile, uh, you know, right. riding the bomb all the way down to, to earth, which was another really, you know, that, that is, is such an iconic scene. Like I, like I remember, I enjoy the hell out of that scene when I, cause I remember seeing that scene so many times out of context like in advertisements and stuff. And then when I finally see it in context, I was like, Oh man, okay, I get it. This is, you know, um, but I think a part of it was because the politics that are at play on that, in that movie, you know, like I said, as a teenager, a lot of that went over my head. And I, even to this day, I'm not a big fan of politics at all. I don't, I don't like to talk about politics. I really, I'm not a a political person. So, um, I mean, I get it now. Like I, I get it, you know, you know, upon, you know, rewatching it as I'm older, but you know, there's just, there's a lot at play that just, you know, goes over the heads of a casual viewer. And that's the thing about Kubrick is Kubrick was very much a very, he was a thinking man's director. Like that man, you, if yeah. you were just, if you were, if you just want to do a popcorn movie, don't you dare go to a Kubrick film because that man wants you to think, he wants you to ponder, he wants you to discuss yeah. after the film's over. He really wants you to use your brain. And so if you're, if you're the type of person who likes to check your brain at the door when you go see a movie, don't go see Kubrick film. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've learned to embrace and, and appreciate Kubrick films over the years. I mean, I have my favorites and stuff. So, But, yeah, that's uh, – Dr. Strangelove is definitely one of those weird, like, uh, like um, frozen in time kind of moments where you, you have to be a certain type of person to really appreciate that film, I think. And that's one of the reasons why I, I totally understand that Jonathan doesn't like it because it is, it's, it's a polarizing film. You, you either are going to be completely on board or you're not. It's, there's no in between there. Um, I, I think mean, one of the things for me is um, I grew up in the cold war and sure. my dad was in the Air Force, and we lived at a B-52 base. And a lot of that stuff was like, I mean, obviously the movie wasn't reality, but there was just enough of what was going on in the real world and some of the stuff growing up with, I mean, just the, the context may be lost today, but I'm so, you know, just going back and look at some of the characters and the actors, I think we're just fantastic. And just watching him progress mm-hmm. through his um, filmography. Sure. So why don't we transition now? And we've got like about 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to do the morning now because we're doing really good tonight. It's eight minutes till seven. We'll cut off at seven, but join us for the final 15 on our um, recorded side of the podcast. So, um, Lisa, I want to open it up to you. What are some of the things that stand out for Stanley Kubrick as a film director to you? And why do you think he has an enduring quality? And, like, you mentioned, like, your your first Kubrick film, but what are some of your favorites and why? Um, what I think of when I think of Stanley Kubrick – I think of the eye, the frame of the camera. Um, it is, it, everything is always, it's symmetrical and it's, it's epic and detailed. Like all of it, it's, it's, and it's interesting when I, I read his biography years ago and I found out he was a crime scene photographer 
and huh. it totally makes sense. Yeah, um, I did not know he, that. That's he amazing. looks at things. It's, he looks at things with this clinical eye, and then you would think, well, if he's looking at things so clinically, like how could it be, um, you know, emotional or evocative? But it, but it is, and and he really gets into people's feelings to various degrees. Like I think there's the movies like uh, Doctor Strangelove is is more of a political dark uh, dark satire. And so that is kind of the more the point of it. And um, with, uh, but, but it's interesting with like A Clockwork Orange, which was the first movie that really pulled me in, you know, this character, Alex, I mean, he's just a total horrible person. And um, you just love him. I mean, I did at least. Um, and I, I really related to him. And like the first half of the movie, is, it's kind of like Scar phase where it's like the first half you're like oh cool they're having fun and then the second half you're like oh shit um <laughs> and uh, I actually ended up meeting I actually met um uh, Malcolm McDowell uh several years ago there was a showing when I used to live in Chicago there was a showing at this theater of, of A Clockwork Orange and uh they had a like meet and greet for like taking pictures or whatever and I went and I did that and it was just uh it was really awkward because I was like uh just drooling <laughs> 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 um and he was he was enjoying the attention and we were like squeezing each other and like having like uh awkward awkward kissing we didn't kiss but like whatever he like turned in to kiss me and I was scared he was going to kiss me on the mouth so then I turned and he kissed my ear and it was just like (laughs) really awkward (laughs) um (laughs) but it was really exciting and crazy because like he has such a charisma in that movie and you think oh that's just like movie magic and acting or whatever and in person he's like radiating like a supernova like all this energy like you can feel his ma- magnetism is like a personal force field. Um, when I think of Kubrick, I think he loves taboo subjects. Um, he likes to deal with situations that people don't want to talk about. He And he thinks big. You know, you see movies like 2001 Space Odyssey is kind of like one of those movies that's like about everything it's about human humanity at large and evolution and the mind and um everything from the grandest to the smallest scale um so i think i think detailed uh cinematography uh innovation like you said with the the camera the camera lenses um taboo subjects and uh and uh like you said an intellectual so yeah, he's he's a he's an interesting he's a really interesting director. I mean, everybody. I think he has a also he has a range. You know, he's not like Tarantino is a really fun director, but he has like one style. So like if you like that style, you'll like all his movies. But if you're not into it, then you're not gonna like it. And with Kubrick, there's literally like a, a shade for every personality. Lolita is such a quiet kind of movie compared to his louder ones. Um, and he has meditative movies like 2001. And so there's something for everybody with Kubrick. And they, they feel contemporary. I don't think 
maybe some of them are a little dated, like Barry Lyndon, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but that was purposely dated, I guess. But yeah, he has such a range. Yeah, definitely. I, I, one of the movies that had a big impact on me was I was going to go in the military, and when I saw Full Metal Jacket, I was like, "Wow!" And the <laughs> people were asking me, "Was it was that accurate?" And I said, "I don't think it was accurate enough." I mean, because it was just when I went to boot camp, it was just crazy. But um, um, an interesting thing is um, Arlie Ermey was a technical advisor, and then he did such a good job, he wound up in the role as um. The gunnery sergeant, so that was pretty interesting. Um, how about you, Jonathan? Um, let's see. Um, well, you go with Donnie first. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my last. Okay. All right, Donnie. So the question is, uh, like, uh, well, I can't remember what the question was again. <laughs> it was something about like, uh, like what, like when we think of Stanley Kubrick, what's like stands out to us? Um, yeah. For me, it's his it's his visual acuity, like a visual style, um, uh, and his attention to detail. Um, when it comes to things like uh, the way he sets up his cinematography, the way he sets up uh, sets up his set design, he puts a lot. He's very meticulous. He puts a lot of detail and a lot of effort into little things. Um, I that that's what really stands out to me for Kubrick, and, and and music as well. Like for me. It's all about the the stuff that assaults your senses visually and auditorily. Mm. Um, that to me is like a is like standard Kubrick. Like you have because you have these really beautiful like wide shots where he lingers for longer than most people would. These establishing shots that are just beautifully done and just they let you they let you live in the moment. Like uh, one of my favorite scenes is in 2001 when they do that very long extended shot of the ship, just, you know, uh, basically just, you know, floating through space as it's heading towards the, um, I think the space station. It just, most people would be like, okay, here's the shot. Let's move on to the next. Let's move on to an interior or something. But he lets you, like, live that experience. He lets you, like, feel it. Like, you just sit there. Like, most people... Again, it's a thinking man's film, so most people look at that and go, this is boring. Why are we just focused on this damn ship for, like, five minutes, watching it get ready to dock? Why are we feeling – but if you really look deeper into it, because of the music, the, 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 the orchestral swell that's playing as you, as you feel the ship, you know, basically gliding its way into dock – and the, 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 the beautiful expanse of space around it, the planet below, there are all these beautiful images that he puts together and he, and he marries them perfectly with music and with detail. And for me, that is the epitome of Stanley Kubrick. For me, everything about Stanley Kubrick that I love is, is, is basically housed in that. The way he manages to marry visual and auditory uh, beauty and just make it and mix it so well and, and, and put it on a canvas. It's so amazing. Um, so for that, mm-hmm. that's my answer for that question. Yeah, I. Um, it's really neat how he did that movie. And um, it's almost like you can separate it into three, maybe four acts with the with the apes sure. getting intelligence and the monolith and, you know, going to the journey to the moon and then the journey to Jupiter and then going through the Stargate. And um, that slit vision technology that they did for that was invented for this movie too or, or honed and I remember watching it go what in the world is going on and then when he's changing at the end but 
The movie definitely, I would say, for me, is characteristic is all his movies leave me with a haunted. They're, they're haunting. It's like it wasn't like mm-hmm. what did I just watch. It was like what did I just watch. I mean, I need to watch right. it again and about it. Like um, how he leaves you with um, with 2001, you see the Star Child and in The Shining. I just love that whole scene where it's it fades into the picture. The music is perfect with the 20s stuff, and then it shows him in the yep. picture. It's just like holy cow, what what does that mean? What did I just watch? And um, and I really think it's cool that um, I love the bar scene in The Shining where he's talking to the bartender. <laughs> And a little note that Lundy actually played Tyrell in Blade Runner. And yeah. Blade Runner, Ridley Scott, when he's told to make a happy ending, he used the scene from them riding up to the, the Overlook Hotel at the beginning of um, The Shining. So it's interesting how they have a, a kind of a connection there for the yeah. um, original theatrical ending for Blade Runner. But um, um, I would have to say The Shining just, it's on such a level. I didn't see the whole thing until I didn't see a clockwork orange until I was in college. So I saw that one late because a friend of mine, she was a big fan of Malcolm McDowell. And then, um, um, uh, so I saw that one late, but that one was actually disturbing. That one disturbed me as a like, holy cow. I don't, I've only watched it once. And to me, that's up there like disturbing, like the exorcist. Cause it was just like, holy cow. You know, the exorcist and is on a you know, a whole other level of evil, but just to see people being like this, like wow. But it's definitely for his film to evoke that kind of emotion in me and the acting to bring that kind of emotion is pretty darn powerful. Sure. Mr speaking of emotion, Mr. Moody. Alright. So um my uh my my answer to this is that what what I when I think of like Stanley Kubrick, you know, and everything, I think of everything. Like he doesn't do just one specific genre. He's not like a Wes Craven or even a Hitchcock. Hitchcock tended to stay mainly in the same genre. Um, you know, uh, you know, suspense thrillers kind of things. You know, um, mysteries. He does everything. If you look at him, he does dark comedy, he does uh, action, he does sci-fi, he does war movies, he does gangster uh, horror, you know, and he does them all well. You know, like you you can look at uh, Clockwork Orange and say, okay, that's a sci- kind of a sci-fi kind of thing. No, it's not sci-fi, it's like just science. It's, it's just whatever, you know, it's like different it's, I, I consider that more a cult movie. Um, that's where it was labeled in the DVD, or the, uh, the I guess the VHS section of my video stores and stuff, and DVD sections where it was labeled as uh, cult uh, movies. But um, then you look at The Shining, and that's horror, you know? Like, But you look at another sci-fi movie like 2001, A Space Odyssey, you wouldn't necessarily tell it was the same director, you know? until you kind of knew who he was, you know? Um, but when you first see it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think, oh, wow, the same guy must have done this. It's not a specific thing. But when you start looking at it, you're like, 
yeah, the same guy definitely did this one and this one. They have the same kind of, you know, techniques and same, you know, they all kind of feel similar. So when I when I think of him and his legacy, um, I just think of how many different movies he did. Like he didn't try to try to be pigeonholed into um, or typecasted in one specific thing. He tried to do do it all, and he did. You know, um, I, I give him props for that. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I think of, and I don't know if there's any other answer you're looking for or whatever, but that's no, what, no. that's that's what I think of when I think of Stanley Kubrick. Cool. Here, um, for if Stanley Kubrick were alive today and you could ask him to direct a movie, what would you do? Say, hey, Stanley, get this idea for a movie I think you could do really well. What was that? If Stanley Kubrick were alive today, what movie would you want him to make? Hmm. Are you saying oh, one that's already made? Or are you saying one you have no, to come up with the idea on your own? Either or. <laughs> and while you're thinking about that, what are your top three? Or we can be generous, uh, top five. Someone would come up to you and say, I want to watch Stanley Kubrick and I know nothing about him. What should I watch? Your I top five. Clockwork, I would say Clockwork Orange, um, The Shining, and uh, 2001. And I'd like that. Is it top five or top three? Top five. What was that last one? Okay. Clockwork Orange, uh, The Shining, 2001. Eyes wide shut, and uh, full metal jacket. All right, cool, Donnie. Uh, which which question are we answering first? Uh, the five. Someone says, the Donnie, I want to watch Stanley Kubrick. What are your top five you'd recommend? Um, I would go with um, I would go with The Shining. First, because mm-hmm. I think that's the most accessible uh, of his films, um, and most people are probably not going to be like looking to just jump right into the cerebral complexities of Stanley Kubrick. So the most accessible of his films, I think, is The Shining. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, because it's horror. Um, then I'd go with uh, A Clockwork Orange. No, no, I take it back. I'd go with 2001. Because you want to go, I'd, I'd want to go with something more, you know, like cosmic and more space, like the space odyssey. I'd, I'd go with the space odyssey is what I'd go with. Mm-hmm. Then I'd go with the Clockwork Orange to kind of show, uh, you know, the more violent uh, aspects uh, of uh, that Stanley Cooper tries to, um, you know, the you know the, the whole crime and the you know the whole um, government regulation kind of thing. Um, and then um, I would go with, I'd probably go with Full Metal Jacket next. But then I would tell them only watch the the first part. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. A lot of people give the first half of or give the second half of Full Metal Jacket a bad rap because don't get me wrong, the first half of is what makes the movie, but the second yeah. half actually isn't as bad as most people say it is. Um, so I would go with probably yeah. Full Metal Jacket, and then I would probably go with Eyes Wide Shut after that because that's probably the one that most people are familiar with because that was one of the most recent ones. You know, that was the last one that he did uh, before he yeah. passed away. And that's the one that had the, that was the one that was the most 
um, uh, mainstream. Um, mm-hmm. So that that would be my order. Okay, Jonathan. All right. So I'm going to say, because I kind of agree with Donnie, if you want to break people into uh, Stanley Kubrick and everything, which I, I guess is the way to go, um, if you're going to want to break people in, um, I would definitely go with Spartacus first because I feel like that's a movie that uh, it's an epic. It's really is just a really well done movie and it's, uh, it's generic enough, you know, that almost everybody can, um, you know, can get into uh, to begin with. Then I would go with The Shining, um, you know, to kind of show that he can do something else completely different and still shock you in many ways. Um, then I would go with um, Full Metal Jacket, and I would say both, show both, uh, you know, the whole movie. Um, and then, uh, what is it? Uh, by the way, Donnie, my, my dad only watches the first half of Full Metal Jacket, so I don't, you know, um, <laughs> I don't blame, uh, blame yeah. him on it. But um, uh, what's the other one? Um, all right, Clockwork Orange for sure. And then, um, uh, and last, uh, probably uh, 2001, um, just because it's one of those movies that uh, I think everybody can watch and enjoy. And, uh, you know, and it's really, it's almost kind of relevant today because if you think about it, they had Skyping in that movie. They had um, a lot of stuff that iPads, you know, and different things, like things that, like, were in the future that I don't know if, like, Apple just saw that or something and just, like, was like, hey, <laughs> saw that movie and was like, let's go and steal this idea. Or maybe it's standing ahead of an its time. I don't know. Hell but, uh, that's hell the... an for IBM. Oh. Ah, you do well, the IBM, H-A-L is the letters before IBM. <laughs> just a yeah. little well, thing. Hal is also but, the, the first series, you know. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's see. We got three minutes left, so mine would be in no particular order The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, 2001, Doctor Strange Love, and Spartacus. And um, as we, we're about to wrap up here in about three minutes, so. What Kubrick movie would you want him to make, and how can we get in touch with you? Lisa, you're our special guest tonight. It's been a pleasure having you. Go ahead. Uh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's, like, so hard. Um, let me, let me think a minute. Huh? Do, do the other one first. Let me think. All right, Donnie. Um, what movie would I like to see Kubrick do? I would love to see his version of AI. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I really want to see what his original version or vision of AI would have been before it was uh, Spielbergified. Um, I, I, I really wish he could have stuck around long enough in life to have been able to do that film his own way. Uh, cause I really would have loved to have seen, cause I, Spielberg's version of it is okay, but it's there's something wrong and off about it, and I really would have loved to have seen Kubrick's original vision. So that's my answer. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Um, Lisa, how can we get in touch with you? Um, oh, and movie, uh, 
even though Mary Heron did a just absolutely stellar bang up job with American Psycho, I would be yeah. interested to see what his version would be like. Hmm, that's a good point. I wouldn't have thought of that, but that's awesome. Um, I just love how he does violence. I just think he's he really <laughs> understands violence and how to make it like cool. Um, and how I am, I am, uh, I'm all over the place. I'm, uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Lisa Cantoral. And, uh, my podcast is Get Lit with Lisa and it's on Podbean and iTunes. Okay. And, um, the Clash Books website where we have, uh, all the books that we're publishing, clashbooks.com, Tragedy Queens. Stories inspired by Lana Del Rey and Sylvia Plath is uh, my first anthology that I've edited. I'm really proud of it and excited. And that's on sale at the Clash site, and it's up for pre-order on Amazon, in print, and on Kindle. Nice. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Lisa.